good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. Better, that's better. We're awake, right? Oh, it's good to be here. I tell you what, it's a lot easier knowing there's people out here, and I'm not talking to some kind of a screen, you know what I mean? But uh, at any rate, um, that's... Oh, I know what it's going to be. I usually have a PowerPoint uh, positioned here uh, for the message, the outline. But you, how many have bulletins out there? If if you want one, there are a few that are just kind of open, so uh, that'll go along with that. You know, we did the uh, recording, sorry about the delay here, um, for the past few weeks, just to try to keep us connected in some way or manner. You know, it's one of those kind of things that's not really, uh, it's not easy to do. And uh, I am not the greatest when it comes to technology, especially with doing uh, videos and internet. But uh, the thing is, is that there were a lot of responses from people that are not even from here from people, maybe not even that I know, or you might have some relatives. So I'll do it a week or two and see what you guys think. If there's some response from uh, those people, if they would like to keep it going, then we'll be glad to, glad to do it. Um, we are in Luke 22. We've been going through the book of Luke, and this is where we have arrived so far. We are near the, uh, near the end of the book. Not quite, though. We're in chapter 22, verse 35 through 38 today. I have a question I want to ask you. Have uh, you ever been accused of something by some people that was really not true at all? And, matter of fact, you were perfectly innocent in it, but the accusers, for some reason, believe you have done something very wrong. So... They lump you in with the bad crowd and almost treat you like you're a criminal. Uh, have you ever had that? Well, you can defend yourself all you want, but the people do not listen. And the word spreads quickly around to other people and it disgraces your name. Now, you uh, are going to be seen as a bad guy, as the bad person, the criminal. It's all a lie. It's there to destroy your reputation, destroy your respect that you should be having. You've always been accepted before and received by people very well. And all of a sudden, no longer are you in good esteem with people. Those very same people that might have been very close, like friends, now want to tear you apart. Well, have you ever been numbered with criminals and rebels, with transgressors? Well, that's the way that you probably feel. Well, there's a supreme example 
supreme example is Jesus. You follow the story here, right? The perfectly innocent Lamb, righteous in every way, was accused of and indicted and condemned to die for the accusations that were mounted up against Him that were all lies. There was no evidence whatsoever. We know that about Christ. What a shame it is that mankind would actually do such a thing to the very Son of God. Can you imagine that? Well, the followers of Christ, they need to know that this is going to happen to Him. They don't get it yet. He keeps telling them. He's been telling them. But He's going to be persecuted, rejected, hated, killed. And so will they. And Jesus has to convey this message that not only is it going to happen to Him, but also to them. They will be numbered with transgressors. And so they will receive the same kind of treatment that Jesus did. Hated. Threatened constantly. Finally. Killed for the name of Christ. They were going to be treated as criminals, as defiant rebels, as Jesus was too. Numbered with transgressors. They would too. Jesus is here to warn them of this. And that's what the passage is dealing with today. Why don't we grab our Bibles? What a joy that is. Let's stand. Let's honor God's Word. Let's read it. Get understanding from him. And he said to them, verse 35, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. Let's pray. Father, the Lord of the Word of God, You are the author of this. It's not by accident as we study this passage today. We will learn further who Christ is and what His plans are and also how that relates to the disciples and how it relates to us even today. We pray, Lord, that You are honored by Your teaching of the Word today and empowered by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. And... Uh, Go to the first part here, and it's like the way it was. Isn't there a song called that? The way it was? The way we were. It's the way they were. It says, He said to them, When I sent you out without money belt, bags, sandals, you didn't like anything, did you? He said, No, nothing. So, uh, Jesus had sent out the twelve disciples to do some ministry work on their own without Him being at their side. And 
this is the first time that they're sent out by themselves. They've all been, always been with Jesus. This time, they're practicing, rehearsing for what they're going to do later on. They uh, heal the sick. They preach the Word of God. Cast out demons. They do amazing things. They come back and said, we were even able to cast out demons from people. And they became very accepted, didn't they? For that three-year ministry, and even in this ministry here, the disciples were accepted by the people. Well, why wouldn't they doing the things they did for the people? They wanted to be healed. Some of them really actually wanted the Word of God. And they preached that. Accepted very well. They had places to stay when they went out. They had food, shelter. They were provided for. They didn't have to take anything with them. They didn't have to take a money bag. They didn't have to take... Uh, other bags with them. Just go out and do it. Uh, somebody will lodge you there. And so, that's what happened. They were taken care of. If you look in Luke chapter 9, all the way back to Luke 9, a long time ago we were there, in verse 3 through 6, it tells us about that. By the way, what we do here is called uh, expository preaching. Expository teaching, uh, it's verse by verse. Simply, it's just taking the passage that we're at and we just explain each phrase or word and it helps us know better what this word is. So, and then we'll use passages to support what we say. We're just not making this up, right? So here's what I just said. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So that's the first time they went out. That's the twelve. Jesus is not there. He says, you're provided for. They were. They did it. Chapter 10, while you're in 9, might as well turn over and we'll see that he sends out 70 people this time. Just like the first time with the 12. The reception is incredible. You read verses 3 and 4. You see that uh, it says, um, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. <laughs> That's a good warning, isn't it? Are we sure we want to go? Lambs in the midst of wolves. He warns them. He says, carry no money belt. No bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the house, eating and drinking. They'll take care of you. That's what they did. And that was the 70. So Jesus here says this. And they were greatly received by the people, weren't they? Taken care of very well. Jesus had massive crowds that He had preached to, healed. They had big crowds. Things are going great. And so, the people wanted Jesus in their presence. They wanted Him in their town. They wanted Him to be around. And that was throughout all of Israel. Well, feature that. Isn't that incredible? People actually wanted Him in their towns. Would that be true today? Well, the church might like that, but I'm not sure anybody else would. Uh, they had been welcomed everywhere, hadn't they? 
welcomed by all the people. They were accepted. They were famous. People really started to hear about them. The crowds, the throngs of crowds that gathered. They're accepted. They're famous. Things are going very well. In the time that he did his three-year ministry, three and a half, the disciples are with him. The feeding of the five thousands, they saw that. The extraordinary providence that God did in supporting that whole ministry and providing for what they had. Now he says, now, when you were with me before, you didn't take any money bags. You didn't take any anything that like knapsacks and you just went out, right? And he said, "Did you ever lack anything?" And what they said, "No, no, Lord, we had everything we needed. We were taken care of, and we know that you were behind all this. That's the idea. No, we were completely taken care of. We didn't even have to take anything with us." Well, that's great. Everything's going good. And you know what? These disciples are saying, the kingdom is just about ready to happen. We're right at the precipice. We're right at the door. We're going to be serving in this kingdom. We are, we're going to have our crowns. you know, And just like probably the, this very night, they've already uh, been saying that they're going to be the greatest, each one of them. I'm the greatest. No, no, no. I am. And they did that often. They did it that night. Jesus gave them a lesson about that, about servanthood. You remember that? That was, I would say, just like a couple of weeks ago, but uh, it was a couple of months ago. <laughs> uh, actually, probably really wasn't that long because we, we talked about it, didn't we? Everything is going good. Their eschatological view seems to be right on. The king is here. He's the Messiah. We're just going to go into Jerusalem and we're going to take it. And this whole nation is going to be under Jesus and we're right there with Him sitting on His right and left hand and what have you. Tremendous confidence that they have. Jesus has been with them and now they go out and do their thing as He sends them out. Then He's with them again. Great confidence. The kingdom is here. It's almost there. We're going to get our elevated positions. We're embraced by the, the populace. All the people are embracing us, accepting us. This is wonderful. They never experienced persecution. Why would they? This is the King, the Messiah, right? So, there's our first verse that we just talked about. He, he says, you remember that, right? And it says, were you ever left lacking anything? They go, no, Lord, Nothing. Not at all. Everything's great. Verse 36 then, And He said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Easy to do the outline this week. I did one verse for each one. This time it's the way it's going to be. What was the first one? The way we were. Now it's okay, but now. Here is the way that's going to be here on out. By the way, I have been reading a lot of commentaries this week on this passage. 
kind of stumped me for quite a long time, and I still can be stumped. I mean, you know, in any passage, every time I come to a passage, I'm stumped. So I have to study it and study it hard. It just doesn't come to me. I have to, you know, check things out and look at it. And it's it's always kind of been one that made me wonder. You know, you're reading along, and he says, and he was numbered with transgressors. That's the title of this message today. But almost all of the commentary writers would say that this is a difficult passage. And I go, yeah, yeah, you're going to explain it to me, right? <laughs> and they didn't give me a lot of info. But, you know, you look at it, you look at the passages, and you look at definitely uh, in verse 37, which really is the key to this whole passage. And we'll get an understanding of this today. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Uh, Jesus explains it right here. It's in verse 37. It's the key to it all. What's interesting is that I wonder how many... John MacArthur said that he looked for people's sermons on this just to see how many people did a sermon on just this text. You know what? He couldn't find any. (laughs) Now, MacArthur did a whole sermon on this text. And you go, yeah, that's helpful. It's because... Actually, there's some things before this and other verses afterward, and it, you know, it fits in the context. And so they'll, they'll say something a little bit about this text and move on. And remember, they're saying this is a difficult passage. But after you're done with it, I don't think it's very difficult at all. Matter of fact, I think it's really simple. And I keep reiterating on it just so we won't forget but it's like saying some of the same stuff all the way through. But that helps us to retain this. So Jesus says what? But now. He said to them, but now. Things are about to change in two ways. First of all, He's going to leave them. He's been saying that all along. He's going to die, right? He's going to leave. He's not going to be with them in His physical body like He has been. And number two is that now they need to take provisions. Hey, I'm not going to be with you. Take all the provisions that you can take with you. You're going to need them. Interesting. Make sure that you prepare. When you went out before, you didn't have to prepare, did you? I'll take care of you. This time it's different. Now, the attention is put on the disciples here on the change that's going to happen to not only them, but other people throughout all of Israel. You remember they're saying, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus, it's the disciples, and they're, you know, in the throngs, and they're they're cheering him on, you know, and they're they're going everywhere that he's going and You know, they all love Him. But near the end of that ministry, especially at the end of the Passion Week, we know the religious leaders were against Him, but they turned the people against Jesus. Because see, Jesus didn't bring the kingdom like they thought. And now their minds are changing. And so it's like this, disciples be ready, because the thinking of the people towards me and you 
is going to be different. It's not going to be like it was. They had been very popular. And you know, when you're popular, you can go up to anybody and start talking to them. And if you need something done, there will be people that will, will help you out. Well, now it's not going to be that way. People do not like what's going to happen as far as Jesus' idea of a kingdom. It's not going to happen. It's within them. But a physical kingdom isn't going to happen at this time. It will later. The Messiah was prophesied that this uh, was going to happen. There was going to be persecution. There was going to be rejection. The disciples need to know this. What a cause for some kind of a sober reflection here on the disciples' part. Jesus is not saying anything really new to them. But He keeps hammering on it and they just can't get it. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Not a cross jewelry, you know, that you go around your neck. We're talking about a cross that kills people in the worst way. They knew what a cross was at that time, the Roman cross. He says, deny yourself. Forget yourself. It's not about you anymore. He says, take up the cross. They were to die to self. That's really what it is. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Well, go to Luke 9. I'm staying in the book of Luke right at the moment. Easy to turn to. Luke 9, verse 23. Something we're all familiar with. And he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, anybody who wants to follow me, he must what? Deny himself, take up the cross daily, and follow me. That's called the cost of what? Discipleship cost of discipleship. We studied that. We checked that out before. Look in chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues, what? When? It's not an if. If they bring you to the synagogues, and the rulers and the authorities do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense. Don't worry about it or what you're to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What's He telling them? He's guaranteeing them what? Persecution. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Here's what happens when you follow Christ. Really upbeat message, right? Count the cost. Look in chapter 14 of Luke, verse 28. What does it take to follow Christ? For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? If you're going to build something, you're going to make sure that you have enough to be able to build that. Not stop in the middle and then that's it, right? I don't have any more. Count the cost. He says, when you follow Christ, make sure that you know what that cost is. Here it is. It demands your very soul. The cost of discipleship. It demands your soul. So, this is what Jesus has already been teaching. Now, He is saying, numbered with transgressors, numbered with criminals, numbered with rebels, defiant. 
That's how people are going to see me, Jesus is saying. If you follow Him, what does that mean for you? <laughs> so, and now He says something here that's really interesting. Okay, in verse 36, money belt, take it along. Bag, take it. Whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Now that is difficult. What do we do with that one? What's he saying? If you don't have a sword, sell your coat. Whatever it takes, get a sword. And he's told them before, you don't need to take a sword. You don't need to, you know, what is this? This doesn't sound like Christianity. It sounds like some kind of holy war. It sounds like jihad. It sounds like Muslim theology, doesn't it? Because they kill people. They've been doing it for thousands, of well, hundreds and hundreds of years, haven't they? Over a thousand years. 1,300 years, something like that. They, uh, if the infidel, the unbeliever, doesn't buy into what they're doing, kill them. That's what they do. That's what they've done. They still do it. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, buy a sword. Does that, now, does that make you wonder a little, what is he saying? I know there's something really good about this, but uh, this is what stumps me. You know, it's, what's going on? So, and we have to go back to Luke, or go forward to Luke 22, 48. It's about Judas. Judas said to him, or, uh, uh, but Jesus said to Judas, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So you get the, the, the context, right? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Makes you wonder if that was James and John, the sons of thunder. Bring, can we bring the tower down, Jesus? Right? Uh, is it Peter there? Is he saying that? Some of the other disciples? Shall we strike with a sword? Let's take them on. With you, we can do this. But Peter was so bold, he went and got the sword out and struck Malchus's ear off. One of them struck the slave, the high priest, and cut off his right ear. That's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? He's got to go to the cross anyway. Why, you know, why rebel against him? Chapter 12. No, no, no. Chapter You know what? Turn to Matthew. I'm sorry. Turn to Matthew 26. A little behind myself. 26:52. Then Jesus said to him, "This is after uh, the sword and striking the slave, cutting the ear off." Verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, "Put your sword back into its place." For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Oh, that sounds like something we've heard before. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. So he says, take a sword. And here he's saying, put the sword back in its sheath. 
We're not going to do that. It's not what I have in mind. So what does Jesus mean by this? Well, first of all, this sword is machairos, and it means a dagger. It's like a knife. It's a very, very short sword. You know, you have the broad, wielding swords. You don't go like this, you know, and cut heads off and everything with it. Well, this one is one that is pin-pointed. It goes sharply into what your target is or whatever you're wanting to cut or have you. Uh, so it's a dagger-like instrument, and it's uh, what he's really saying here in this context is the normal needs that you have, the support that you need, protection. You're going to need it. You're going to need protection. Who knows what kind of wild animal you're going to run into out there, right? You need that. Uh, you need that dagger for certain occasions. Uh, you've seen all of the, uh, what is it, the, the shows where people are out on the island, right, and uh, they're trying to survive. Of course, what, I don't want to plug the show, but the Survivor, <laughs> they have tons of those kind of shows, right? What is one of the first things that people, if they are able to take something with them, will take? A knife. Something sharp. They're going to need that. A machete or something, right? They're going to need it. It, and it's basically dealing with protection. It's not to go out and kill the natives, you know. So that's probably the idea here. It's figurative expressions to protection. Support is the idea. Uh, they're not going to be taken care of like they were before, and people aren't going to accept them. So you need everything that you can for your support, your livelihood, for protection. The things that you need out there. Nowhere in the New Testament, like in the book of Acts or the epistles, do we ever see Christianity using force by the sword. You don't ever see that. Matter of fact, you see it in Romans 13, where the sword rightly belongs to the state. They're the ones that are to punish evildoers. They are the ones who will take care of that. It's the state that does it. You don't go out individually and take care of things on your own hands. Vigilantes, right? There's another use in the New Testament dealing with the sword. And it says, take up a spiritual sword. It's in Ephesians 6. It is warfare against Satan and the enemies. It's having the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, isn't it? The Word of God. So what we have here in verse 35 is, this is the way you were, verse 36, but now it's going to change. What do you have there? You have what's called a contrast. Here or here? One or the, and so it's changed. It's a contrast then and now. Also, there is a clarification here. What had already been said about how things were going to go down, there was going to be persecution and such, they just didn't quite get. They didn't get it until much later, even after the resurrection. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and now it's like they're different. Totally, when that happens in Acts chapter 2. 
let's look at John 15. I'm going to go outside of Luke for a moment. John 15, verse 18. And this is during the night that they're having the Passover. We're still on that night. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. It's been revealed. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. There is the fact. We would not like to see that. We would like to think that things would just keep on going well throughout all these ministry and right on through the rest of time, wouldn't we? We would write that story. I would. That's the story I would write. And everybody lives happily ever after. Well, that's true, isn't it? If you're Christ, if, you, if He owns you, then you will live much happier than this life right here. Much better. Glorified, it'll be perfect. But in the meantime, Here's what you expect. Those who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. People don't like our message. Have you guys noticed that? Why not? We have the best news ever. Why don't they like that message? You're a sinner. You can be saved from that sin and get out of that bondage and that wickedness and evil and be saved by a Savior. By grace, you're saved and you will be glorified and live with God forever and His people. Well, John 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. I'm telling you these things. Here's what's, you know, what's going to happen to you guys, he's saying. I want you to know ahead of time though. Look at this. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. They're going to kick you out of the synagogue. You won't be welcomed in there anymore. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. It's done from a religious... If if it's dealing with synagogue, we're talking religion, aren't we? It's going to be coming from the highly religious people that are going to do this to you. Numbered among transgressors. Would you like to be numbered among transgressors? Would you like to have a bad name for being Christ's brother? For knowing who Christ is? Would you like to have a bad name for that? Well, this is what he is definitely telling them as we move on. Verse 3, These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. That's why they do it. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. 
I'm getting ready to leave you now. This is his last kind of message to him, John 14, 15, 16. Uh, it's about the Holy Spirit's going to come to them and comfort them, the paraclete. Great news, even though he's saying, I have to leave. That's when the Holy Spirit will come. Well, okay. Now, we get to the heart of what this passage is. It's the very key of our passage. You have to love it. Have you seen the contrast now? We spent a long time on that. But we get to the prophecy that's fulfilled. Verse 37. Luke 22, 37. For I tell you this. Now, if you had Jesus saying, For I tell you this, would you listen to Him? He says, Hey, here's what you once were. And here's the way it's going to be. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. You listen, right? That which is written must be fulfilled in me. It's been written. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. How does this fit here? You once were. You're going to be. Oh, I'll be numbered with transgressors because that's going to fulfill what God had already told back in Isaiah 53. He's quoting out of Isaiah 53, giving instructions to the disciples what to expect of Him and they too will be numbered with transgressors. First, it's going to be Him. What did this prophecy predict and why was Jesus making such a point of drawing this to the attention of the disciples? That's the deal. I believe Isaiah 53.12 is the very key to unlocking the very meaning of this difficult passage. I bet you're already seeing it. You're getting it, aren't you? It's a beautiful text. Isaiah 53, it's what I term as the most messianic text in all of the Old Testament. Now, I say that because many others before me say the same thing. So, it's not anything new. It, whenever I say messianic, do you know what I'm saying? Messiah or, or king, the anointed one. It, it, it is so much about... Jesus Christ, 700 years before He came on the scene in the Incarnation. Here's the key. It's beautiful. The entire prophecy is quite a literary context and contrast. Have you turned to Isaiah 53? I'm turning there now. Actually, it starts in 52, at the end of 52. We're going to pick it up in 53. One thing I want to tell you that you can sum up this chapter in a couple of words if it helps you to remember. Suffering servant. He's a suffering servant. Well, you just said that he's the Messiah and he's the king. That's right. There's your contrast. He's the king of kings, lord of lords, right? He is the king of all time. And at the same time, what's the opposite of a king? He's a servant. I like Matthew and Mark. Matthew proves that Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah. The book of Mark proves that he is a servant. 
as he goes about healing. Just going from one place to another. One after another after another. Healing people. Serving people. He's a king. He's a servant. In Isaiah 53, that's what we get. We get the suffering servant. You want to read this? Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground coming from the line of David. He has no stately form or majesty. He doesn't look like what you would think a king would look like. That we should look upon Him nor appearance that we be, be attracted to Him. There's nothing that draws people. You know, it's not like a Hollywood movie star and you know, and he doesn't draw people that way. And in fact, he was despised. He was forsaken of men. As time went on, he was forsaken more and more, and especially it's leading up to his uh, uh, crucifixion and all the torture that went with that. A man of sorrows, with acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. They're ashamed. He was beaten to them. such a pulp. You could not even recognize who he was. The bloody matter and of course, a crown of thorns had been mashed on him, and as he goes through this terrible suffering, the worst of the worst, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. That's all of us. Before we came to Christ, did we esteem Christ? Well, of course not. You couldn't. You weren't a believer. You didn't esteem him any. You didn't give him any praise. I'm talking about me here. I'm talking about all of you. And all people of all all time of all kinds before Christ after Christ surely our griefs he himself bore our griefs our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken he deserves it that's the way he is he doesn't deserve any honor smitten of God who smitten really God afflicted but He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice it's our transgressions, our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. The chastening should have been on us, but it fell on Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. By that scourging, his back, his physical aspect. He had to die for our sins, right? All of us like sheep have gone astray. We're wayward. Every man by his nature, even when he's born, is already a sinner. By nature, he's wicked and evil and he has no clue who God is and he doesn't want God. Each of us has turned his, to his own way. We've turned our back on God. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That is the great exchange. He took our sin. We took His righteousness. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He did not open His mouth. He was innocent he didn't say a word. He didn't put up a defense. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. He is the Lamb of God, isn't He? And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So He did not open His mouth. 
This is all past tense written in Isaiah 53. It is 700 years before it happened. What a prophecy, folks. This, this passage here, if you've never read this before, I say this afternoon, if you get an opportunity here tonight, read through this text. and It's only like 12 verses. The most incredible 12 verses in the Old Testament about the Messiah, His death, burial, resurrection. The way that He was in His ministry even. By oppression in verse 8 and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living, He was killed. For the transgression of My people to whom the stroke was due. For the people that God the Father gave to the Son, He dies for them. He dies for their sins. Verse 9, His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet He was with a rich man in His death because He had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in His mouth. Perfectly innocent. But the Lord, the Father here, was pleased to crush Him, putting to grief. Why would the Father do that to His Son? His only Son. Because that's the plan. That's the only way we can be redeemed. This was planned before the foundation of the world, long before you were ever here. He already had this Planned. He was pleased to do this because this is going to buy our salvation. Jesus paid it all, right? Paid the ransom to the Father. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, He will see His offspring. He will prolong His days. We're speaking of resurrection here. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. As a result of the anguish of His soul, He will see it and be satisfied. By His knowledge, the righteous one, that's the Messiah, Jesus, my servant, look at this, will justify the many. He will declare righteous the many. Who are the many? They're the ones the Father gives to the Son that He pays the sin for. As He will bear their iniquities. He took our sin on the cross. Now here we go. Here's our verse. You ready? We took 11 verses to build up to this one. Isn't this an incredible chapter? I haven't even touched on any kind of depth at all of what is here. You could spend weeks on this passage. This is all prophesied. This is why this proves that this is God and His Word. Here we go. Therefore, I will allot Him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because He poured out Himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Sound familiar? That's our text today right here. He was numbered with transgressors. Yet He Himself bore the sin of many believers and interceded for the transgressors. He was considered, folks, to be a criminal. Matter of fact, in one of the versions, instead of transgressors, it said criminal. It could be that. It's probably not the best translation. What we have here, transgressors, is probably a better one, but yet it still gets the same thought across. Can you imagine being associated with criminals? 
Well, in the book of Mark, he uh, talks about I think Mark fifteen twenty eight. He talks about him being crucified between two criminals. So the text there would be what? The two robbers, the criminals. He was numbered with them on the crosses, right? That's the way that I've always taken it, and that's correct. But also, uh, you remember in his ministry, who are a lot of the people that he went to? Well, sinners. <laughs> that's, who he, uh, that's the only people he can go to are sinners, right? You know, of course, there are believers after that, but goes to sinners. So, who are some of those sinners? Criminals. Tax collectors. They're the worst. Sinners. Harlots. Who did he eat with? Same people. Wow. He hung out with them, huh? Transgressors, aren't they? That's what they are. They're transgressors. He's numbered with them. That's the price that it's going to pay. That's the way that people, by the time that he goes to the cross, almost all of Israel, and it says in John 1, that he came to his own and his own received him not. As a whole, most people were out there saying, crucify him, crucify him. What did they do a few days before that? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. A few days later, crucify him, kill him. See how the people turned on him? Do you see how they see him? Oh, he's not the king. That's who I thought he was. He deceived us all. He's a liar. He's a crazy man. He's a criminal. He's a rebel. You could be looked at that way, I guess. Disciples were hearing this now. In Isaiah 53 it says, men would view Him as a sinner. He's a suffering Savior. He's innocent. But yet, He is guilty because He had the guilt of men. That's the only reason He's guilty. Because He took on our guilt. He took on our sin. He's regarded by men as a sinner. As a criminal. In Isaiah 53. That's what it said. And that's exactly the way it came out to be. He was under God's wrath because He took our sin. As far as the people were concerned, He was not worthy. But He actually is worthy to have the judgment of mankind's sin to be judged and condemned. He's worthy of that. Only He. You know what? Instead of the two criminals, just the two criminals, He was numbered with the transgressors. Are you starting to see the broader implication besides just the two criminals? Men would view Him as a sinner. Look how they all looked at Him. All the ones who had respected Him, thought highly of Him, praised Him, now they see Him as a sinner. He's vile. He's wicked. He deserves this. Rejection and suffering. Are you, are you getting the idea? Numbered with the transgressors. The disciples will be numbered with the transgressors. What's Jesus doing here? He's consistent with the disciples. He's been saying all along that this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a profound trial upon you. You're going to undergo this. 
Jesus at the same time is so concerned that night to prepare them and comfort them. That's what he did. Especially in John 14 through 16, but all the passages that deal with that Passover as he taught them. He says, Look, I'm numbered among the criminals. And we know that he hung on a Roman cross. He had been condemned as a criminal by the highest spiritual court there was of his own people, condemned by a criminal by the Roman justice system. He's going to hang between two thieves. He's going to be numbered by the Jewish religious leaders, by the Roman civic leaders, and by the people of Jerusalem as one who is a criminal. He's preparing His disciples. And this is all part of God's sovereign plan. This is not an accident whatsoever. The disciples are thinking crowns. Jesus is thinking cross. Before the crown. I would rather have the cross first. Wouldn't you? I'd like to have everything go smooth and good and everything. Why do we have to see things negative? Because that's the way it is. Jesus says, but now. It doesn't go the way we would like in this world, does it? Of course not. Expect it to be a trial. But expect the goodness and the grace that comes all during that time. I'd not trade it for anything with you. And then we know what's awaiting us, but even now I wouldn't want to live any other way but the Christ-like life. Jesus was headed for a cross. He's fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. Right out of Isaiah 53. And He says something that they probably go, huh? What? And I know they did because of the next verse. Um, He's revealing through this prophecy of Isaiah. Eventually they'll have victory and joy of the kingdom. Let's take the very last one as we get ready to close this down now for the day. Well, you know what? This is Mother's Day. And I know you ladies were probably expecting, I wonder if he's going to do another Mother's Day (laughs) passing. You know, I haven't done one in a long time because I heard several of you women, mothers say, you know, I'd just rather hear just a regular preaching of the Word of God rather than just another message about how good mothers are. We're thankful for you. But I'm taking your cue as I have in the past several years and instead of doing that one that everybody thinks, we just kept on with the text. Is that okay? We heard that from some mothers over here. (laughs) I know you guys. I know you. But no dishonor to mothers. eh? The last verse, 38. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. I'm proud of this. We've got the swords. And he said, you know, go buy a sword, you know. Say, hey, we got we got two swords here. <laughs> They're going to take on the Roman army with those two swords, right? Well, as long as Jesus is with us, we can. Well, yeah, we could. You know what? He has something better than two swords. Look at this. Look in John 14, uh, 12. We have something better than those physical swords, folks. Look at this. 14.12 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. 
I can only be one place at one time in this human body like this. But you, disciples, can go out all over the world. I was pretty well restrained to Israel. But you can go out in 12 bodies and preach the same thing that I did with the power of God's Spirit. Greater things. That's the idea there. Uh, how about verse 23 of John 14? 23. Uh, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will stay in it. He will keep it. He will do it. You read it. You hear it. You do it. That's the idea. Keeping my word. My Father will love him and he will come to him and make and we will come to him and make our abode, our dwelling, our home with him. If you're in God's word and you believe his word, he's going to abide with you always. Uh, don't you guys like that? John 15 verse 16. He will abide with you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I like that. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give to you. I chose you that you would have fruit. And you know what? Your fruit will remain. Just ask the Father. That's better than a sword, isn't it? You can go right to God in heaven. You have access. You can pray with power. That's, isn't that better than any sword? 16 verse 7 of John. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to leave. And this is good. What? For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. That means He will live in you. If you are of Christ, if you belong to Him, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God dwelling in your soul. Have you thought about that? The very power of God that dwells in your soul. You are a new person, a new creation. If you are in the Father's will, go to Him in prayer. He will take care of things. He always does. The victories and joys of kingdom. Isn't it great? Okay. We're about finished here in Luke 22. 38. Lord, look here are two swords. And he said to them, It's enough. It's like saying, Enough of such talk. Here's our, here's our physical swords. <laughs> enough. Enough of that. And let's, let's add a little thought to that. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what, that's all the swords you're really going to need, guys, because your future protection doesn't depend really on you and your swords. <laughs> Do you get that? It's really about depending on Him. Same thought there. You know, think godly ways, not humanly ways. We tend to think we war against the enemy out there, the world and such. And you know what? Yeah, it can be an enemy of God. But at the same time, put on your spiritual armor. That's how we win the battles every time. Okay. 
We've tried to take this in context and what does it mean? That's the first thing you want to do. What does this passage mean? You don't look in there, well, so what does this mean for me? You don't go looking for that first. You go looking to see what is it saying? Who's he saying it to? Why is he saying it? What's it about? Where's it at? You ask those questions as you get to it. Then you can say, okay, that was 2,000 years ago. Did it have anything to do with the disciples? Well, definitely. It was saying it to them. Does it mean anything to us? I got four little things you can package up and take home. I don't have them on your outlines there in your bulletin. And if you don't have one there, I'm sorry. I, I should have made a few more this morning. I'm glad uh, you guys came here. It's great to see everybody here. Uh, a lot of visitors. We appreciate you. Okay. What can I take home out of this now? Number one, expect rejection. Expect persecution because that's the way it's been for all the people of all of time who are believers in God. Last 2,000 years, Christ's followers have had this happen. It's in Scripture. Can't deny it. That's what counts the most. So what, what did Jesus say about it? So don't be surprised when you take the good news to somebody and they reject it that uh, they may not like you anymore. Second, the disciples were looking at this through the eyes, uh, really, of what the world would be looking at. Uh, their own ambition. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. We have the kingdom coming up. And, you see, it's really looking through the lens of God's revealed word. What does that say? It doesn't matter what you want. It's what... God wants. It's about God's will. He says a qualifier when asking Him anything that you want. You know what the qualifier is? In your will. In your will, Lord. Now, thirdly, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The disciples thought, crown. crown. Jesus says, cross. Than the crown. We would have designed a lot easier way because we don't like to have to go through difficult times, do we? Well, like it or not, whether you're a believer or not, you're going to go through difficult times. The difference of a Christian is, is that he knows how to go through these times because the word right here says, hey, this is not a big deal. This whole thing with the coronavirus, yes, it has taken out thousands of people, thousands all across the world. We know that. And I'm not even going to comment on this because you hear it every day. And I try to stay away from this because you hear it almost like 24 hours a day. It's constant. It's constant. But what I say is, you know, a true Christian really doesn't worry about these things because he knows that God protects him. And if he does get sickness, well, God will still protect him. And if he dies, then uh, even better, you go to be with the Lord. <laughs> You can't lose. That's what we're saying this morning. It sounds like bad news that we're giving you. No, we're saying you have all the ammunition, you have all the equipment that you ever need. There's nothing else that you need. You have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, as it says in Peter. Isn't that good news? But if you think the way that nature and natural man thinks, it's not going to be the way that God thinks. He thinks differently, doesn't he? Here's how we find it. It's right here. 
His ways are always the opposite. Have you noticed that? And he says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Why would God come to this earth in the way that he did, in the way that he was born? He should have been king in a castle and ruling and reigning just like that. That's the way we'd like it, right? No, he didn't do that. He came in the most humblest way and he died in the worst, humblest way that you possibly could. Numbered with transgressors and no respect from hardly anybody in the whole nation. Even the disciples ran. They're transgressors too. Fourthly, if you'd entered into the kingdom of God, you first of all have to see yourself as a sinner. If you're sitting here this morning and you really haven't trusted in Christ, the problem with you and with everybody else and everybody here is that we were born with a sin nature. And the bad news is that you will pay for that sin and it will last for eternity and being away from God. But if you see yourself as a sinner and you need a Savior and the sinless Son of God that we saw in Isaiah 53 takes on your sin, you cannot pay for it because it will take an eternity and you'll still never pay for it. But Jesus paid it all right there at the cross. You put your trust in that. It says, whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Guarantee, promise. If you've seen these things are to be true, then that true is true. The assumption is that we can now see ourselves as righteous only in the person of Christ. A lot of people out there think they're righteous think they're not too bad. But they're very bad if they don't know Christ. Their nature is horrible. Just like ours was. The Son of God. Do you see Him as a sinner? Or do you see Him as a Savior? Really when it comes down to it, that's basically what it comes down to. He's really nothing. That deal on the cross, uh, probably hearsay. He, maybe He didn't even exist. You know what? He might as well be a sinner to that person. But all those who experience God's salvation enter into His kingdom are thinking reverses. Can anyone here agree with that? Your whole demeanor, your whole nature, your way of thinking, everything that you do now is now thought, thought on the ways that God thinks. Thank you guys for coming this morning. I have enjoyed it immensely worshiping with you. You all have a tremendous Mother's Day. Enjoy it. Glorify God. When you glorify God, you enjoy that. It's all a part of the great package that God has given us. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the people of the body of Christ all over the world. In this nation, we pray for this nation that's so ungodly. So many things that the world should be able to wake up to with a lot of things that have happened. It should make people question what eternity is. And Lord, we know that there have been many people that I have heard of that have had their lives changed during this period of a couple of months right here in this nation. Lord, that is joyous, great good news. I'd love to see a revival. 
right here, right now, Lord, we want to see a revival among God's people. It starts with the church of God, but it goes out to the lost, and that lost souls will come to Christ because of the clear preaching of the Word of God. And so, Lord, this day, we say, bring on a revival. We want to be ready. We want to be ready to bring the gospel to the lost and to disciple them, to show them the word, the truth, so that they can grow and that they can honor you and glorify you and bring other lost people into the body of Christ. Lord, we pray for this church. Thank you for the ones you have brought here today. It is by no means accident. And we welcome them here. We are so elated, joyously, for we needed this. And we needed this day. May we be able to revive and bring people to know you better. And so we can go out and do the same thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. It's been a blessing. And they all said, Amen. Amen.